Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The town hall with Robin Kelly. Yeah, that was our town hall. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to sort of report on what was said. Um, sure. So let me see. That was called uh, the Right to Recovery Facebook Live conference. Right to Recover Facebook Live. uh, What was the last word you used? Facebook Live. It was called the Right to Recovery. Yeah. And it featured Black Lives Matter, Southside Organized for Unity and Liberation, Coco, Kenny. Organization and SCIU. Got it. Okay. All right. Ready? Yes. Three, two, one. It's time for another cannabis conversation on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Lisa Solomon with us. Welcome back, Lisa. Hey, Ben. Always good to be here. And our special guest today is an old friend of mine, Sonia Harper, State Representative Sonia Harper. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So happy to be here today. Yes, indeed. And usually, uh, Sonia, well, in the old days, we'd be in the studio together. But of course, with the pandemic, we're all doing this by phone. Uh, And you're in your home. I'm in my I'm in my attic. And Lisa is in her place. But we're going to do the best we can, as always. All right. Uh, Before I bring Lisa on to talk about uh, some of the uh, cannabis issues of the day, and Sonia's in the middle of all that. Uh, I want to talk, have a little conversation. Uh, Sonia, she's a state rep from the Englewood area, the 6th District on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I just want to talk about uh, the impact of the coronavirus, COVID-19, on the black community. This has been in a newspaper lately. Um, I, f- I forget what percentage it is, but it's, a, it's an uh, outrageous percentage of the people who've died are black relative to their population in the state, Sonia. And I know this is hitting hard at your community, your district, uh, your constituents, your friends, et cetera, and so forth. Um, talk a little bit about how uh, the, the virus is impacting people in your, uh, in your district. Sure. So, I mean, you know, you just said it. We heard the numbers over 70% of the deaths and the infection in um, Cook County as it relates to COVID-19 um, is affecting black people, it's affecting black residents. I represent the sixth district, which is a very diverse, wonderful district that runs from River North all the way to the south side of Chicago, encompassing neighborhoods like Inglewood and West Inglewood, back of the yard, um, Fuller Park, Chicago Lawn, Canaryville, River, but I go up to River North and South Loop in the loop as well. And so definitely, um, confirming that news, knowing that that was something, you know, that that could have been possible based on the already healthcare disparities that we um, experience in our community, the already um, decreased quality of life that you will live on the south side, you know, versus the north side of my district. And so, you know, residents uh, in my district are having the same concerns 
that residents all over the state are having. You know, we're all made to be staying at home right now. A lot of people are laid off. Schools are out. And so we're all living in a situation that we none of us have ever lived in before. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. People want to know how they're going to pay their rent, their utilities, how they're going to um, survive even after this pandemic is over, not just while it's going on right now and specifically in a community, they want to know if it's happening the most in our communities, how are we being equipped to protect ourselves? Um, And it's happening again because we are the most vulnerable, because we have the weakest bodies, because of generations and generations of poor health care, poor health disparities, poor access to um, healthy foods and a number of other, you know, stress related things that go on for vulnerable communities of color in the city of Chicago and all over the state. Yeah, and I before we uh, talk about uh, answering some of the questions that you raised, how to pay rent, how to pay utilities, how can we be better equipped? I just want to point out, uh, you know, this is a political uh, show, uh, Sonia. The teachers of Chicago went on strike. It was November. I just always have to point this out to force the powers that be in this town to hire more nurses. You remember that, Sonia Harper? It's all of a sudden, we couldn't afford more nurses. Oh, no. And now here we are in the middle of coronavirus. Could use some more nurses. It just, I know we're not supposed to be too political uh, in a a crisis like this, but I think it's really important to always be vigilant and political. Uh, But just, I just want people to remember that. Uh, Sonia, I know you do, but I just want people to remember, like, when times were good, how hard-hearted we were in the city of Chicago about services and communities that meet, need them the most. I just think people should not lose sight of that e- even now. Do you agree? That's right. I agree. We were already struggling. And I and I hate to bring this up, but it's, it's top of the mind when you talk about how I've been fighting so long for legislation that would bring in more nurses, more social workers, more psychologists and therapists. Uh, into Chicago public schools. And, you know, now I'm being asked right now to close four hospitals on the south side of Chicago in order to give way to maybe one hospital in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't want to go, you know, all over into that conversation, but it just goes to show you the lack of planning, um, the lack of just overall uh, engagement and, and just true thought about the healthcare needs and the overall quality of life that's available for people on the south and west sides of Chicago. Yes, and uh, to that point, we won't go into the hospital issue right now, but I'm going to have uh, Dr. Crystal Cash will be on my show on Tuesday. Uh, she's a doctor from the south side. She's been working uh, in that community for 40 years or so, so 30 years. Maybe I've exaggerated a bit. We'll be talking about some of those issues with Dr. Cash on Tuesday. All right, uh, one of the things, Sonia, that you've been participating in, I know there been there was a town hall, virtual town hall meeting on Tuesday. Many of the uh, leading black politicians in the city of Chicago participated. There was another one today. United Working Families organized. Talk about some of the, um, the remedies and the issues that were raised in these town hall meetings as a way to uh, deal with. Uh, the crisis. So the town hall that the town hall that we had on Tuesday was a town hall put on by the Joint Caucus. In fact, uh, it was an idea that I had before the numbers even came out. You know, that I felt that we needed to provide some type of voice, leadership, and guide people in our most vulnerable communities and the people that we serve in our Black communities to the resources now during this very scary time. And that was supposed to just be our time to be able to address our communities, but you know, we found out days before, weeks before that, you know, this virus was not just hitting everybody. 
And in fact, it was hitting us at disproportionate rates. And so that even helped to to narrow the focus of our conversation. And I'm very happy, very happy that there were so many hosts, um, so many people represented on the federal level, on the state level, on the county level, and even the city level um, that came together to help to provide the input and ideas for what we needed to present not one, but just the first town hall of many to our residents to be able to show them where the resources are and to most more importantly, get feedback from them on what is going on on the ground and how we can be most helpful to them at this time. And so I was happy that we had all types of participants, three doctors we had on the line. Of course, Dr. Ezekiel, the director of the Illinois Department of Public Health was on the line to tell folks exactly what they needed to know about the COVID virus and to go more in depth into the disparity numbers. Um, we were also joined by Dr. Suzette McKinney from the Illinois Medical District and also um, Dr. Kiran Josie from Cook County Health talking about the, the county's response and how the county is helping to reach out to the most vulnerable communities. Um, we had the Illinois Department of Human Services talk about all of the different resources that are available for individuals, for families, um, for um, we even talked about uh, resources for businesses, where to get food. Um, and so just really being um, um, adamant and really being clear on where the help is for people that is coming from the state, that's coming from the um, federal level, that's coming from the county and coming from the city and just trying to condense that all uh, down for people to be able to access. And so I'm very, we had a very good town hall um, and I'm looking forward to definitely having more, definitely sometimes going in maybe on some of the different subject matters alone on some of these town halls um, as we even need to plan for the recovery hopefully after this is over and how we will come back online as it relates to education our businesses and everything else and i really hope when we get to the recovery that we not forget all the crucial medical needs that we had at the height of this crisis i can't implore people enough on that front sonia it's like Oh, that bullet, we dodged that bullet. Now we can go back to what? Cutting services, closing health clinics, closing mental health clinics. I really don't, I hope we've moved beyond uh, that mindset, you know? I hope so as well. You know, I've been fighting for years and, and bringing up the fact that our communities are disproportionately impacted by preventable diet-related diseases, that everyone loves to put on the news how much gun violence and how many deaths we have from gun violence in our communities, but how we have tripled and quadrupled that number of deaths from preventable diet-related diseases simply because we live in food deserts and simply because we don't have the access to health care or when we do have the health care in our communities, it's not quality health care, right? So those are the issues that have led to where we are today. The disparities that we have experienced in our communities over generations and generations have led to making us the most vulnerable to this COVID-19 right now. So you had another meeting today, another virtual meeting uh, with uh, organized by United Working Families, Right to Recovery. What were some of the uh, ideas passed around by the leaders in this uh, virtual meeting? Sure. So the leaders were talking about much of the same ideals that I've spoken about today and how some of the things that we need right now and the things that we're fighting for are things that we've always been fighting for. And in, and in, and in that, most of the people that are calling my office every day want to know, am I going to get help or relief for my rent or my utility? Right. And so that was part of the subject matter today, calling on um, 
the state of Illinois to lift the the ban on rent control so that we can provide more quality, affordable housing and maybe even have some room to make some special considerations in this case right here for people to be able to stay in their homes, perhaps even providing some relief for evictions, not just during this emergency declaration, but even six months to a year after, because it's going to take some time to reel from the things that we're going through. There were conversations about our work on getting um, more access and more freedom for people with free trial detention centers and getting more access for residents as it relates to their water rates. I mean, to be honest, nothing on that call that we discussed today was anything new because it was COVID. These are the same exact things that we've been asking for in our communities that will honestly just help to give us an equal quality of life that everybody has in their other communities. Once again, uh, it it takes a crisis to get people to pay attention to some, some real needs that people in the city of Chicago had. I remember the first time you came on my show, Sonia, you were talking about gentrification issues in Englewood and uh, we, the possibility that the city was, even if it was unintentional, I'm going to give them the best spin, unintentionally promoting uh, uh, planning decisions and planning strategies that were causing gentrification, forcing people out of the community. Nobody was really thinking about the quality of life in a very systematic way. Let's hope at least now with the with this current pandemic, it will wake people up a little bit and force our leaders to address these issues. I agree, I agree. We were just working um, on a letter um, in the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus on um, just bringing home that point, right? that we need to look at this through an equity lens and we need to use this opportunity to not only protect the most vulnerable population from this pandemic, but also use this opportunity to right generations of wrongs to a communities that have been placed in this position, not of any fault of their own. Uh, before I uh, bring Lisa in and switch to gears and start talking about your cannabis bill, just have to throw a political question at you. I've been entertaining the notion today of who I believe Joe Biden uh, should pick as his vice president. Biden, Bernie's out of the race, so Joe Biden will be the nominee. Uh, and uh, he said he was going to take a woman. My three top picks were uh, Val Demings, the uh, congresswoman from Florida who was the impeachment manager uh, during uh, the— the Senate's impeach, excuse me, the House Representative's impeachment of Donald Trump, Kamala Harris, Senator for California, who of course was running for president for a while, and uh, Stacey Abrams is my favorite, the um, gubernatorial candidate from Georgia. Uh, she's a progressive, sort of cut from the same cloth I am. Do you have any favorites on on your list, uh, Sonia? I mean, man, from your list, you know, I would probably go all the way with Stacey Abrams. Um. And, and not just because she's the one who I've just most recently seen, but it's just been the way that I've seen her operate throughout her campaign and knowing how much she's been a legislative leader and standing up for the values that mean most to uh, communities that I represent in the state of Georgia. I'm really close to a lot of the members in the Georgia uh, General Assembly. And so, yeah, I will probably be all in for uh, Stacey. Abrams for a vice presidential candidate. I've really recently had the pleasure of seeing her on several occasions when I was just in uh, Selma, Alabama for the commemoration of the uh, 50th anniversary from the Selma to uh, Montgomery to Selma marches. And her and Biden 
were there at every single thing that I was. And to me, um, even though, you know, it was never confirmed, that seemed like that could be a, a winning, a winning thing for us. I, yeah, that was my number one pick. And it just, I uh, pound home this theme. If Joe Biden is to uh, defeat Donald Trump, he will need to uh, fire up uh, black voters in a way that Hillary Clinton did not do in 2016. And that, to me, why it's so imperative, so important that a black person be the vice presidential uh, nominee. Let's face it, Joe Biden was the white person for uh, when Barack Obama was looking for a vice presidential candidate. So let's go, let's complete the deal here. And uh, I th he said he's going to be a woman. So there's a chance. It, I, my guess it's going to be Kamala Harris if I had a, a bet in Vegas. So That's possible. I yeah. definitely think so. To be honest, uh, I was looking at the energy in the room and I just didn't feel that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know what, you know, what, what conversations are happening between their camp. Um, but I don't see any evidence of that happening yet, but we never know. Right. Yeah. And I could tell you the last person in the world who'd be privy to those private conversations would be me. Uh, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, Joe Biden's not calling me anytime soon. Uh, Lisa Solomon from uh, the Chicago Reader, my beloved colleague at the, the Chicago Reader. We do the uh, cannabis conversation every week and, uh, uh, Sonia is sponsoring a very important bill. Lisa, why don't you uh, talk a little about it and uh, ask the first question to Sonia. All right. I actually want to talk to Sonia about something else cannabis related before we get to this bill that I'm really excited to talk to her about. I had CNN on earlier today, and what they said was incredibly disturbing. Cook County Jail is the non-hospital hotspot for COVID-19 cases in the country. Cook County Jail has more cases than any place else. And we've got so many people that are in there for cannabis related offenses, while other people are out living the life of luxury for selling it with a license. And people are, you know, close to death, I'm guessing some of them. There are 251 plus detainees and 150 staff people in there. What can people do to help you and the other legislators that have been trying to get people out of jail that shouldn't still be in there for cannabis arrest. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, that's total news to me that there are people currently sitting and detained and you say Cook County Jail? They said Cook for County Jail. Yeah, if you Google it, it pops up all over the place. For, for, for cannabis arrest? Oh, not for the can no, for the COVID nineteen cases. Oh, yeah. COVID nineteen They've okay. got so many people in there with COVID nineteen, it's spreading like wildfire in there. And there are people in there that you know, some of them should not be in jail really. Well the people in jail well, can't pay their uh, can't pay bail. So if you're you know, when you get sentenced uh when you're locked up and you haven't been uh convicted of anything uh, but you're in bail. You're in jail because you can't make bail. I don't mean. I would think those would be the first people in a crisis like this that you would I'm let not them. Mistaken. If I am not mistaken, I recently saw a headline, and believe me, these days there's so much information going out that I believe that um, detainees were being released. Yes. Now I was in my due diligence and check up with the county just to make sure. But I heard that in this case, there are lots and lots and lots of people 
um, that are currently being released from county as well as the state prison system as it relates to the COVID-19 outbreak. A lot of the nonviolent offenders and what I'm hearing, people who are basically in jail simply um, because they don't have the money to pay were being released. Yeah. And so um, I will go back and do my due diligence and check up to make sure um, th- that that is not the case, that we are not still detaining those people, especially in this emergency declaration, and especially um, when the jails are a hotbed right now for that virus. Right. That is wonderful to hear. And I'd heard that that was going to happen. And my concern was, if you have people that were in this hotbed of COVID-19 being released and they live in a home where they don't have a room to self-quarantine for two weeks, you know, what do we do? Because other people in their family are being put at risk. But that's a whole other subject. That so, is, but you're right. But it's a whole other subject that needs to be discussed that really, yeah. to my to my knowledge and to my satisfaction, has not been being discussed. Right. And so as a state legislator, I get the report that, you know, we're releasing these people from jail today because of COVID-19. But what I'm not hearing is that these are where these people are going to be living. These are where the people are going to go and to make sure that they have sound medical, mental health, whatever services that they need um, to be able to survive. Right. And so I, w- I would urge and implore everyone including elected officials, um, to continue to check up on and advocate um, for the treatment and for the services that should be available for men and women who are returning home from prison and or jail. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so now we get to go on and talk about something that I've been really wanting to talk to you about, and that is Illinois House Bill 5472 that you introduced, which is about public consumption. So do you want to give people an overview of that? And then I can follow up with some questions that I have. Well, what I can do is I can tell people what my intention was when I filed the bill and and how, you know, the legislative process goes and trying to get that passed. And so what my intention was in filing that language was to simply allow for the delivery of marijuana in the state of Illinois. And to be honest with you, this was a leftover um, and something that was really important, especially to the members of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, that was included in that original passage um, of the adult use recreational bill, but it wasn't, right? And so to us, this is just a follow-up things that we wanted to get included in the bill specifically um, because we felt like it increased the number and amount of opportunity for the regular Joe to get into the cannabis business realizing that not everyone has a million dollars of capital to start a cultivation center or a dispensary, um, but wanting to, if this bill was truly to be the most equitable bill in the country and truly put those that were harmed the most by the war on drugs um, at the front um, of benefiting from this new cannabis industry, that mobile delivery and even social consumption, though that's not safe at this particular time, should have been part of that package. And so I did introduce the bill, um, and I introduced it knowing that the language that exists right now might not be the language that passes, but that I wanted to start the conversation and help to um, attract all of the you know advocates and even opponents to the bill that would help to craft it 
to be where we wanted it to be, to not just ensure delivery, um, um, but ensure that we were creating more opportunities and entries and pathways into the recreational marketplace. Yeah, that is great. That's so important. So I've heard that, you know, the delivery licenses um, that people are hoping they'll be expedited during COVID-19. Is anything going on with that? Is that possible? So at this particular time, delivery licenses do not exist in the state of Illinois. And that is particularly why I introduced the legislation so that the state could create a delivery license um, procedure. Um, in that, I do not be either believe that there has been any, even any administrative rules set up by which current operators, cultivation centers, or dispensaries can deliver their goods. Now, there is a patient care program just solely through the medical program whereby a person who is a medical patient can elect a person to be their caretaker who is able to go and pick up their prescriptions for them and deliver them to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a model that we were hoping to expand to the recreational um, market as well. Again, not just allowing current businesses who um, are in the marijuana industry in Illinois, but also opening it up for others as well to do this as a business venture. So, yeah, we would definitely like something for this to either be speeded along and passed through legislation um, and or be provided for in a special type of executive order, um, being that in this time right now, we should be social distancing and, and doing whatever we can to, to not have a, a lot of human contact, and this would help in that instance, right? Having our, having our medicine delivered, because that's what I consider it, having our medicine delivered mm -hmm. right along with our groceries and everything else, right? I talk about um, you know access to, to everything related to agriculture, food, as well as cannabis. And I'm even talking about expanding SNAP benefits so that people can buy food online using their SNAP card and have it delivered. Because as I seem to know right now, that is not the case. And so in this time of COVID-19 and, and distancing and people needing to still get to their medicine, food and resources, um, I, I do appreciate the, the attention that's been put on the legislation. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be working with the governor and the you know, um, advisor to see if there is any type of provisions that we can provide in this time right now to delivery. Sonia, we, your bill was introduced. It was a different uh, time. It was February. It was, and it was before uh, the pandemic hit hard and the quarantine and stay at home. And uh, the, the, exactly. the General Assembly was actually convening, was actually meeting. Uh, and so was there any uh, immediate opposition that led you to think that maybe there'd be some obstacles? Was there, were there people standing up and saying, oh no, this is just, uh, this is a bridge to we cannot honest, cross? Yeah. No, to be honest, I got an overwhelming, I got more support. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're coming through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I, uh, I got initial support that I hadn't even expected, you know, before I even put out a fact sheet on the bill, right? Or before I even put out a, a post about it, and I still haven't because our, all of our work has gotten derailed at this moment. But, yeah. 
Does, by okay, the, and I have questions about some other parts of the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead, Ben. No, I was just going to ask, uh, would, was there any sign, is there any sign of when you'll, the, the General Assembly go back into session? So that uh, there's this, no sign at all. Yeah. Not for the House, at least. Yeah. So for the House, we do not know where we're going to go back um, to Springfield. We have no word yet. Yeah. I, we were talking about this the other day uh, on the show that the city council is entertaining the notion of doing its next meeting as a virtual meeting, uh, which I don't know if they've actually worked out the details on it. I wouldn't be surprised if the House uh, follows suit. Go ahead, Lisa. You had a question. Okay, so some other parts of the bill relate to special licenses for events where people can consume them on the premises of like bars and restaurants and in hotel rooms. Because we know in Vegas, there's been a real issue. Cannabis is legal. They sell a lot for recreational use, but yet it's illegal to consume in a hotel room there or on the streets or any other public place. So what you've introduced allows, if I read it correctly, for hotels does that designate up to 25% of their rooms as smoking rooms if properly ventilated and cannabis could be consumed in there and that other venues like bars, restaurants, and so on, if they have a properly ventilated area that they can get special event permits or licenses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, what you're talking about, I think is the social consumption bill. And um, that bill basically, um, again, will provide more opportunity for your everyday person um, to go into business um, by allowing social consumption on their premises, right? And being allowed, letting that be another way that they money. And so with that, yes, of course, if that business deemed that it went to do that, a hotel would be part of it. But of course, every you know, every business and every municipality has the right to make their own decisions on, you know, their own rules and regulations around whatever ordinance that they decide to enact around social consumption, right? So as a state, we have so much authority to say, hey, this is what you can allow for um, different states and villages to be able to allow people to consume on the premises, right? Whether it be a restaurant, that infuses, um, you know, the medicine in their food, or be it um, a bar that rents out their venue once a week and allows people to consume on that one night. So just, again, opening up the amount of opportunities that people have to make money. And then also think about it. How are we, how are we legalizing something but not giving people um, the freedom or the a place to consume the product, right? That again is still banned on a federal level. So there's, you know, still some stigma attached to it, especially um, when you talk about opponents or who's against it. The, of course, you know who the number one people are against anything related to marijuana, and that's it's going to be law enforcement, right? Because their number one concern is more people being outside driving while impaired, right? Um, and so those are the types of uh, objections that you or we will have to overcome in trying to pass any legislation as it relates to creating more avenues, more business opportunities, and even more freedom for people who either want to sell or consume um, marijuana. Yeah. And I'm hoping. Right. You make a very good 
point, it opens up a lot of business opportunities. So if someone has even a small restaurant with an outdoor patio, they could rent it out and have events where people can consume. So my understanding of the bill was that they need a special event, special permit each time they're doing that. Is there a move possibly to support these businesses where they'll be able to get one to allow it to be consumed more regularly? I mean, they're allowed to sell alcohol. Bars can sell alcohol. It's sort of an unfair thing to say people can't allow the consumption of cannabis on the premises if it's properly ventilated. You and me are on the same side. (laughs) (laughs) And what needs to be done is to just allow for those and again, for those municipalities and those villages that want to buy into it, that want to allow it, we need to create our language to say they can do it and then they can do it. And it'll be literally as simple as that. And I would like to point out and pick up on something that Representative Harper said. Uh, Sonia, you said it, you, you made the point, it's still illegal on the federal level. And every single one of these cannabis conversations that Lisa and I have, I close it with that point. It's still illegal on the federal level. And as long as it's illegal on the federal level, that impedes the efforts one way or another for states like Illinois uh, to make it legal. There's always complications that result because of that, uh, the federal rules against it, the federal laws against it. So I'm going to take this little opportunity to urge Joe Biden. I know he listens to this show all the time and he loves Sonia Harper. So he's probably tuning in right now. Joe Biden. Come on, throw away that old, outdated notions you have about the legalization of whatever you call it. You're from, you're from a little generation even before mine, so you may not call it cannabis. You may not even call it reefer. You probably call it marijuana, whatever you call it. You know, I don't know if you know this, Sonia, but uh, Joe Biden at the last debate was like, well, you know, I'm for uh, decriminalization, but I'm not sure about legalization. We have to study how the impacts it has on brains or something, which sounds like some of the rhetoric I was hearing at the General Assembly when Kelly Cassidy and Toy Hutchinson and, you know, Jahan Gordon were pushing the bill to legalize it. You remember some of the the rhetoric you heard on the floor of the the House? So. Yeah, you're talking about the reefer madness. You're talking about the reefer madness rhetoric. And yes. that's okay. That just, you know, you, we have to realize that, you know, Biden is from a different time and that he just needs to be brought up to speed on what's going on. He just needs the right staffers and people around him to advise him. I think that, you know, in his presidential campaign, if he wants to win, he's definitely going to alter his views on it and have some ideas on the way that we can use um that medicine for good instead of the way that it's been used for bad to hurt so many people in so many communities for so long. So to be honest, I had a recent conversation um, with people from his campaign and just talking about some of the work that I've been working on in agriculture and even social equity and cannabis before COVID-19 hit. Um, They said that that's something that they could use a lot of help with. Um, and that, and I volunteered my services, so I'll follow back up with him and see if maybe I can offer him some talking points that may help to push him over that right. <laughs> or some education. I appreciate that. Help him. Push him. Push there him. There are two movies. There are two movies that I recommend, and I don't know if you've seen them, but if you could get his team to sit down and have a movie night with him, this will help open his mind. One of them. So Grass, 1999, produced by Ron Mann, narrated by Woody Harrelson. And the other one 
is Weed the People, came out in 2018, executive producer Ricky Lake. The movie Grass will dispel all notions of reefer madness to anyone with half a brain. And Weed the People takes a step further to show some of the many medical benefits that some people get from it. Yeah. That's right. I love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that because my number one thing everywhere I go way before legalization came around is that food is medicine. What grows on this earth is medicine. God gave us everything that we needed to survive. It's us that think that it, everything needs to come in a box or a package or plastic wrap. And so, um, yeah, that, that goes right along with um, the medicine that has been used for 5,000 years to heal thousands of ailments. Um, there you go. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Sonia Harper, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, I'm glad you got an opportunity to meet Lisa Solomon, even if it's just virtual. I'm sure you guys will be working together on this and many issues. Sonia Harper, state representative from the 6th Dis Legislative District uh, in the city of Chicago. Thank you very much, Sonia. And Thank you. Uh, and you're welcome. And Lisa Solomon, pride and joy of the Chicago Reader. Before I let you go, Lisa, give a word or two, a shout out for my beloved Chicago Reader. All right. Well, first of all, I want to say that you can catch Sonia again on 4-20-2020 at 4-20 p.m. Chicago Normal is doing a 4-20 summit in partnership with Shop Hitley and a medical group. If you go to the Reader Facebook page, you'll find it under events. I'm not sure what time Sonia's on, but she will be on there. I think it's a town hall-like meeting she'll be doing. And the Reader, um, in the times of COVID-19, our beloved publisher Tracy Bain has gotten really creative. The staff is creative. We're doing some great initiatives to keep everyone employed, um, including freelancers and delivery people. So if you want to support us, chicagoreader.com backslash donate or chicagoreader.com backslash coloring book for this incredible book artists contributed to. And coming out on 420 is our 420 activity book. You can have coloring pages, recipes for foods and drinks, and some activities and a resource guide. So I'll share more information about that next week. If you want information on how to make a submission for that book, things are due tomorrow. Just ping me at lsolomon at chicagoreader.com, L-S-O-L-O-M-O-N at chicagoreader.com. Thank you so much, Sonia, and thank you, Ben. All right, very good. And Dennis. And Dennis, Dr. D, working very hard here. Uh, that's uh, Lisa Solomon, Sonia Harper. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.